This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. All right, it's Roberta Williams, bitches. <laughs> oh, perfect. to another episode of Culture But Not Really. I am your host, Brian Edwards. And I'm your other host, Stephen Schweinger. Didn't we say that we weren't going to be doing that noise once before, but yeah, here we are again. Get used to our lying. <laughs> it happens frequently. I guess so, because we've already done it once, at least. Gotta start out exciting, because this person that we're talking about today is super exciting. Maybe not. I think so. But I'm also weird with my exciting knowledge of things. Hey, Steven. Hey, what? Are you a g g -g gamer <laughs> Um, well... I guess. I guess you could say that I would be a gamer. Only true gamers are ready for this lesson in <laughs> history and pop culture. Because I'm talking about late 80s and early 90s into late 90s computer gaming. <laughs> I feel like you've got this energy where you're just like a, like a commercial This announcer. is because we're recording after work. For the first time on a Friday. And we've got so much built up energy. And I had three coffees in one hour this morning. And I have not come down since. Please help. Send an adult to help. <laughs> well, yes. So I, I'm not really that much of a gamer. No, you're not but, a, real, uh, a real gamer. I enjoy the game, occasional game every once in a while. Yeah, but like, uh, like the Skyrim Skyrim. I mean, it's been different recently. I mean, I went and I played through a little bit of Disco Elysium before my computer completely just trashed on me. And you kept dying. And I, I, did, I died once. That's too many times. <laughs> I died once. Real gamers never die. And it's because they answered the wrong question. <laughs> well, you can't answer the wrong question in the game of life or you die. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of just answered the wrong question and... uh and then apparently, then the, the the screen faded to black, and then it just restarted because I got killed. That's what happens in real life too, babe. Yeah, I guess. Don't know what to tell you. you got to be careful who you talk life. to. Well, for the true gamers out there, I'm going to talk about a very, very, very important. Some might say one of the pioneers of the computer gaming age that gave us so many classic tales classic i'm gonna talk about someone my mom loves <laughs> your that, mom comes up a lot in this podcast which is great because my she's mom a, wonderful, is a person. wonderful person and she and i have so many great things to talk about that inspire me and give yeah. me my purpose in life indeed we love you love you mom <laughs> no but i know she's gonna love this episode because she talks about this person i don't know why i keep saying this person like i need to give a bunch of suspense we're going to talk about the one the only 
Roberta Williams. Whoa. <laughs> That's twice in this episode already. Um, so for those who don't know who Roberta Williams is, she's basically the like I would say, you know when they, they would say like the grandfather of the industry. She's the grandmother of the computer gaming world. She along with her husband, Ken Williams, were the co-founders of Sierra Entertainment, mm. which for anyone that had a computer from basically any time to the, from the late 80s through the 90s, basically knows who Sierra Entertainment is. And for those in the know, know who Roberta Williams is, because she's probably one of the most influential video game designers ever, I would say, subjectively, but only because she basically started off a whole industry of of genre-based games. She's basically like the main developer of the early adventure point-and-click games that, that dominated computer gaming from the late 80s into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the 80s when when computers were starting to become home devices yeah a lot of companies jumped on the gaming bandwagon but because those computers were super old and did not have <laughs> nearly the kind of graphic capabilities that even the most basic of today's laptops could have and this is the thing they didn't have laptops back in the day back in the day they had those big beefy square box computers that could barely run a game of solitaire <laughs> I'm just imagining that when they came out, they were already old. <laughs> oh, basically. I mean, that was, you know what I'm talking about, the big, beefy, yeah. like, clunky, junky desktop computers. Yeah. Um, But back in those days, the displays on those computers were barely enough to just do basic text. So that's what they were. They were text-based adventures that dominated those markets from the second people realized that people would ma- pay money. To play a fun game, even if it was just typing into the computer saying, like, walk north. <laughs> and then it would give you a prompt and you go, walk south. And then it would just tell you what you what, what you saw, what you were doing. And Yeah. The time period where in games, if you needed assistance, you actually had to call a phone line. Well, this is even before. I'm talking before even that. Oh, really? Before I'm that? I'm talking before that, like, like Zork. <laughs> Fucking Zork, when you had to, like, type it in and you're like, it'll tell you, like, you found an axe. And you'd say, like pick up axe and then it would tell you you've picked up the axe because that's the only way it could tell you that there was any sort of progression anyway um and so that was like the at that point that was kind of like late 70s and that this is where the story kind of begins to give a little background between roberta williams because i want to talk mostly about roberta williams and not so much ken only because roberta williams is I think more important to talk about, right? Because Ken is important. He definitely was part of alongside this the whole time. But Roberta Williams, especially for the time she was working, yeah, she was a female, a strong female, writing stories about strong females in a time when that was not the T, sis. Yeah, it was kind of a, a before people started hearing those like diversity even was like wasn't really a topic of conversation for most businesses she was thinking like i want to just write these stories and if they happen to star and and happen to be geared and marketed and appreciated by women that was that was a bonus but she wasn't like pushing it as like her 
her trying to be progressive mindset or anything. She just wanted to make the game she wanted to make. And I just think that the fact that she did that at a time that as a woman, which is terrible, we have to say as a woman, but as a woman, she wasn't like, she was a way ahead of her time for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just a little background between the two of them. Uh, they met uh, each other. Roberta and Ken met when Roberta was 17, right in high school. So they're high school sweethearts, basically. Um, and they actually got so cute. So cute. And they got married two years after they met when she was 19. Could you imagine getting married at 19? I mean, uh, I thought so when I was 19. Uh, I just can't think. That stress is too much. <laughs> I have friends that, that married their high school sweethearts. And I can't, like, fathom, like, one, the people I did in high school were not the people I should have ever wanted to spend my life with. And also, that's just, like, a lot to just lock in at such an early age. Yeah, it's a different time. Yeah, and then that different time was called the 70s. <laughs> the ancient uh, 70s. The ancient, some some might say mythical age of the 70s. <laughs> um But the story really starts in 1979. Uh, Roberta Williams was working, not working, as a housewife. And uh, she actually didn't really have any real interest initially with video games or computers. Um, But her husband, Ken, was working for a computer company that was working with a lot of those big IBM monster machines back in the 70s. You would see the pictures of that are like the size of like five refrigerators. Um, (laughs) And so at that time... Um, Apple, when they started there, a lot of their computers were starting to become, starting to like become more popular and a little more common in people's homes instead of just being at like places of business. Right. Um, and that increase in popularity kind of brought computer gaming to Roberta's attention. Um, she began playing video games, all of them being those fun text-based games and, yeah. She went on to say that her first game that she played was a game called Colossal Cave. After that that one glorious moment in her life playing text-based adventure games on her computer, she became hooked. And particularly on adventure games. That's kind of what her, her niche yeah. is known for, the adventure game. Um, and so in the late 70s, she began developing her first game. She's really good at naming things. Like she's really has like a really good like naming convention. So her <laughs> first game is called Mystery House. That's that's perfect. And it it's you know what? There's, it says what it does in the town. <laughs> it's the house with mysteries. And it, uh, yeah. And she didn't have any experience of gaming or knowledge or she had no experience with uh, gaming or computers, but she didn't know how to st- tell a story. It's been said from an early age that she would always tell these wonderful stories to her family and they would and she she would call them movies movies yeah that's what she called these stories she would just tell as a kid so yeah so when she was little she would tell all these stories to her family and that's kind of what i think sparked the retelling of stories when she realized that there was another outlet i guess to say is there's yeah. like and it was an untapped resource for an industry basically yeah. computers had just started really getting to the point where they could be start being accessible with people and she had lofty ideas too because not only does she want to make a game inspired by these other text-based games she wanted to make a game 
with graphics. What? Yes. You heard me right. That's crazy. And so with the help of her husband, who helped program the game, since she literally had no idea how to even program anything, (laughs) um, she and her husband developed Mystery House. And that was an adventure game, and it had black and white graphics. And it was made for the Apple II computer. It was the very first computer game to ever actually include graphics. And uh, surprising to her, it was a hit. (laughs) Usually that's the way things go. Mystery house. Because it's like, it's the first of its kind. So it has like a little bit of an extra special appeal where it's like, whenever a game does something revolutionary, it becomes like the next big game. I know like a quick example I thought of, and it's been like a reference for a lot of people uncharted the first uncharted game yeah people when it came out were like oh my god if you walk in the water his pants get wet whoa (laughs) like that was a big deal because they had like thought that detail in it it just made the game feel that much more immersive when i played uncharted it was way 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 late i know but so like like, that that detail like didn't even phase me but like that's that was a revolutionary moment in video gaming just for they had attention to details. So you'd walk into the, a puddle and the, the water level would go up his pant legs and like make it dark and then it would dry and then it would go back to normal. Like they thought all of that thing, all those things through. Yeah. Which was a revolutionary moment. And those things happen in video games. It's been happening a lot more frequently because there's a lot more advancement going on in these days. But back then, adding graphics to a computer game was the biggest of the big. Um, And so... After that success of, of Mystery House, God, that's such a good name. Such a good name for a Fantastic game. Fantastic name. Um, they went on to be basically become the, the, the figureheads in the development of graphical adventure games throughout the 80s and 90s. In 1980, they founded the Online Systems Company in Simi Valley, California, which everyone now knows as Sierra Online. Which they named renamed two years after they started when they moved to from Simi Valley to Oakhurst, and mm-hmm. the reason they named it Sierra is it because of its close proximity to the Sierra Nevada mountain range. What I know, and most people just know about Sierra Sierra Entertainment. I know like Sierra Online is like because they kept the online part, but yeah, um, and so Sierra never like. It never really blossomed beyond what it did best, I yeah. think. And I don't want to talk too much about the business itself because there's a lot involved. It's not super fun to talk about. So, I mean, if you really want to, there's many, like, reports and books and and bio, biographies from everyone from Ken Williams to other workers under the, the umbrella of Sierra during that time that, you know, if you're interested in more of that, read a book. Reading is fundamental. Okay, okay there, RuPaul. <laughs> Calm down. Um, just kidding. Um, but in 1996, Sierra was sold, and the Williamses, both of them, both Ken and Roberta, would ha- would retire from video game designing and developing in 1999, supposedly. Dun dun dun. What? <laughs> Um, so before I go on to, there, there's more to talk about, but I have, I, I don't want to bog too much and get too much in and break too much of my flow up. So 
I think it's ad time. Be right back. Hey there, it's me, your host, Steven. Aside from being a host of this podcast, I am the founder of Alexandrian Media, a growing production company based in Philadelphia that aims to make art and culture accessible to those in our modern era. I'm here today to tell you about an incredible opportunity. Alexandrian Media is a proud partner of Run the Town, a virtual race hosted by Roy Belzer Fitness. If you're someone who is normally quite active but haven't been able to get out there and run races or done any fitness-related activities or sports, then this is a perfect opportunity for you. Run the Town is a virtual race that can be done anywhere in the world. This fundraiser will aid in bolstering the Roy Belzer Fitness Scholarship Program, benefiting all those that are looking to pursue their fitness journey to feel better and to live a healthier lifestyle, but are financially incapable of getting started. If you're a listener to any of my podcasts, you'll know that I've been a student of Roy's for just about a year now, and I've been a huge supporter of his class. Roy Fitness has been the best support system I've needed to work on my health. And that's why I'm here to tell you that listeners of this podcast can sign up to run the town for 10% off your choice of three races, a 5k walk slash run, a 10k walk slash run, or a half marathon race. And yes, I did say walk slash run because you do not have to run this race. Join me and let together help Roy Belzer Fitness hit their goal of 1,000 racers across the U.S. and give people looking to jumpstart their health and fitness journeys the chance to get personal training. Click on the link in the show notes to sign up right now. I hope to see you there. Let's get back to the story. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you did it. I didn't. I know because you wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, anyway, so as as we get back on track, I wanted to just give this little bit of a. What I find is to be a very impressive amount of credits to her name. So as, as I said, they... they she made her first game in basically came out in 1980, and they had worked for 19 years in the industry until they retired. Wow! And in that time, Roberta Williams has 23 video game credits to her name. Damn, that's a lot. That's like... that's a lot. I mean, again, we're we're talking about like early graphic designing video games. So yeah. it's not like it's you know. I will say only one of the games they ever made was in 3D. If that yeah. makes any sort of like, I mean, it's like it's only like almost two games a year. And, and it was. I mean, granted, they had a team under them that they had to work with and did a lot of the extra work and helped. Yeah, but yeah, still, that's a lot for one person. Yeah, I mean, especially when you think now a lot of games can have like up to five, ten years in yeah. development, sometimes longer if they're stuck in development hell. Um, 
but one of she's she's known for for many games, and I'll talk. I want to talk about three in particular, um, just because two of them in particular have some some interesting stories. But one just is just kind of a, a well known one for um, people who had a computer in the eighties. Um, so one of the the most notable games she made was a game called Mixed Up Mother Goose, which came out in nineteen eighty seven. Um, it's, it's basically just what you'd expect. It sounds like it's a little edutainment adventure game it was aimed at little kids because yeah, that's what a lot of those like games one. were. It's like kind of the, before the, uh, age of those like humongous entertainment games, like the Pajama Sam and the Freddy Fish. It was like yeah. way before that even. Um, but I did find out through all my extensive research that it was actually the first multimedia game to be released on the CD-ROM. Wow. Because it came out in 1987, but they had a few versions made in the years after, kind of to keep up with like the the constant changing equipment and hardware and keep up with making sure the game looked nice. So they made two more versions, and the version that came out in 1991 was released on the CD-ROM that we all know and love today, although it is phasing out, so... Maybe not so much anymore. Yeah, it's all downloadable stuff losing, now. Su- losing some of that love. as we, Plus, there's also better CDs out there anyway. I mean, better discs for yeah. playing media. Yeah. Things shifted to, like, Blu-ray. And um, and so, like, when they were making these these different versions of the Mixed Up Mother Goose, um, they basically just would remake the improvements to the visuals and the audio to make them better. And so... When they end up le- releasing the, the the third version, they were even able to add um, voices, which seems like such a small thing, but was a big deal back in those days. Right. So they were able to add uh, voices to the rhymes of this of the the music in the game. Yeah. Which I think is just like it's it seems like such a trivial, tiny little thing nowadays, but back then, and there are plenty of people I can talk to you about audio engineering of the olden video games, but. Audio takes up a lot of space that people it don't does. know. That's why when you have play those old like NES games, those eight bit games, they all have those like super MIDI keyboard sounding, yeah, like beat that like do 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 like that's yeah. literally all they could fit onto those cartridges. Yeah, so they had to do with what they what they had. Yeah, um, but a little piece of fun, little trivia too is the for the cover art of Mother Goose. Um, Roberta herself actually modeled for the photo on the front of the game cover, which I think is just a fun <laughs> little piece of information. It's my um, baby. It's funny, though, because she, she's there with two children, and those two children are not her children. So Who are I just, they? I don't know. They just act like <laughs> little child models. I just think it's like she has she has two children. I just don't know why they wouldn't just use her children. <laughs> I guess her children didn't make the cut. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of when my parents started their business. They used, uh, they didn't use me at all. Uh, they didn't use my I other mean, brother. I mean, they used my two youngest siblings as their models of like, I think my sister was in the back of like one of their cracker boxes, like indulging in some tasty crackers. Uh, yeah, because she's like pretty. <laughs> just, what? I'm, like, I'm just kidding. At, like 10 years old. He's so pretty. He's a pretty tiny. You're pretty. He's so pretty. 
I mean, yeah, I don't know why they didn't just use the ki- her kids. But I just thought that was like when I was researching, they kind of made a point to say like she was in the she was the cup co- in the cover art for mixed up Mother Goose, but her children weren't. Like it was just seemed very <laughs> deliberate. Like they could they could have just like lied and said nothing. Yeah, and just don't, don't even mention it. Don't even worry about yeah, it. Yeah, they could have just lied by omission, but they made a point to say like she was in the cover, and there were two children with her, but they weren't her children. <laughs> But the next game I wanted to talk about has a bit more uh, <laughs> spiciness to it. Spicy? Spicy. So, in 1995, she put out and designed a game called Phantasmagoria. That's one of my favorite words. I love that word, Phantasmagoria. I read the uh, Lewis Carroll different story i think i don't know it didn't say anything about i've never played it because i don't want to <laughs> that's nothing against her Why as not? a designer um it's one it's a horror game i don't love horror games i don't either i don't like anything um, horror related unless it's, i like old horror movies but i digress i prefer like i prefer when i like if i watch something i'm not going to be like controlling it yeah, I feel like I feel too too immersed. I I prefer it to be like a movie. Yeah, something that I know like I can sort of detach myself from any responsibility. Yeah, um, and it depends on the horror game too. Like there, like I do like like the Silent Hill games and Re- some of the Resident Evil games are fun, but not not when this game, especially because from what I do know of it, it is extremely violent, extremely gory, <laughs> and has some very unsettling. Uh, sexual violence related uh, Uh, content which is not great now it wasn't even great then i mean it's 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 a it's a google at your own risk kind of game (laughs) and and then the biggest reason why i talk about it is it's one of their biggest it wasn't necessarily any sort of flop that's not the right way to say but it was a very big uh magnet for a lot of uh controversy yeah and i'll get into that i want to talk a little bit just about like the development a little bit about development um so it's an fmv horror game do you know what fmv stands for never even heard of it you don't know about fmv games not until this very moment what um you probably know what they are you probably didn't know that's what they were called Mm, probably so fmv stands for full motion video back in the day when they couldn't really still figure out the whole 3d graphics thing they uh would use actual people okay and they would film just like they'd film a movie and then they would just literally like edit them into like pre-rendered backgrounds. And okay. then the point and click was them. Like they would usually, especially if the character had to walk around the map, they would record the person like walking in place or walking across. And then they would just like use that animation to get like to move them across okay. the world map that they were walking through. Um, and so it was a big, big uh, trend. And it's actually come back. There have been, uh, I know there's one game. It's called At Dead of Night, and it was uh, basically the same vibe, much better done, like, <laughs> compared to the what we know of as, like, the 80s, 90s FMV games. I yeah. think it was more 90s. I don't think there was really any. Well, you've had years to to, to think about. Right, and the, and it was it was deliberately done in FMV. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't just because it had, like, technical limitations. Yeah. Um, but the game is, like... Well, at this point, any of those kinds of things would be deliberately right. done. That's the thing, is there's a lot of that, too, is, like, capturing... The essence of those kinds of games, yeah. doing it better and to, and for today, right. and like that game, you like play as this girl who is basically trapped in this hotel with a like lunatic 
who's running it and he keeps trying to kill you and you have to like basically keep hiding from him and the part of this the scariness is like it's a point and click game so you walk around by like clicking points that you kind of like jump to kind of the way the google street map view kind of like yeah jumps you through the game um but then the thing is like sometimes as you're like going around a corner and you walk and you like go by you see him in your periphery as you walk by and then you're like oh shit he's here i have to go and hide into one of the hotel rooms and then it's like yeah kind of a chase game and you like go into a room and then you have to hide in the cupboard and you watch watch him walk by and like it's very it's very spooky spooky and it's also there's ghosts because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a horror game without without ghosts. some ghosts um but so unlike the newer age and it's, it looks gorgeous by the way it's a very beautiful game because it's part 3d render part fmv mm. and they blend it together seamlessly that's pretty good um but phantasmagoria unlike most games of that of its time and its fmv-ness not so much (laughs) um a lot of them didn't really know how to do great compositing Mm. i mean people were just getting the hang of it for tv and movies not even really tv mostly just movies and even movies i mean like star wars did it well yeah um and so, for video games, video games are still such a new commodity, especially coming out of the 80s with the video game crash that happened in the 80s. Mm. There really wasn't a whole market for a lot of people to invest in those big budget kinds of things. Yeah. Um, which is crazy, which is why, which is, it's, which is crazy why this game in particular is the way it is. Because, for the time, it had a massive crew and cost fortune wow um more than 200 people were involved with making the game and it's mostly because roberta herself wrote a 550 page script (laughs) i can barely write six in a week yeah (laughs) let's see it's five so 550 pages is about four times longer than the average hollywood screenplay yeah that's pretty vague which is huge it's a book yeah it's 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 longer than most books yeah i was (laughs) saying it's it's like a big book it's not just the um and it's a script so it's written on like eight by eight and a half by 11 pages it's not even written in like a short compact book but it took more than two years to develop and four months to film which is kind of long. Filming doesn't usually take more than like two months, three months, depending on the, yeah. the, the project. Um, and the original budget that was set out was $800,000. Wow. But it ended up costing $4.5 million. It sounds like they missed the mark a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just a little bit. Um, just a few million dollars more. And just, just to give you an idea of like how much they like put into de- like de- developing this game, they spent... 1.5 million of that 4.5 million on building a studio for filming mm. on the grounds of Sierra's like headquarters. <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's and, and that's, that's that seems, I mean, I mean it, it's again, it's it's early video compositing technology, early video game compositing technology. Yeah, um, so they're not like a lot of stuff is easier to do now with less space but yeah. they basically had to film like build a whole soundstage for this project yeah um, and all of the people were filmed on blue screens like that's the way they did it back then yeah so the game actually ended up being a success like financially surprising enough because i hope it, they got return on that they did yeah that's that's the only reason why it 
they considered it being like it, it was financial and a financial success enough where like the fact that they spent the amount that they did their um stock still went up a oh lot. That's, well that's good yeah um it, big part in, in fact because similar to what happens happened like in the 2000s with like the gta games it got a lot of bad press grand theft auto for those who are like me and don't understand what gta means <laughs> i thought everyone knew the gta uh, anyway um a lot of the the success of it i think and, and i'm speculating a little bit but there's some evidence that supports it is that the negative press it got for like being so violent and gory and dealing with like rape in the way that it yeah. did is very bad but because it was reported that way kind of made people want to play it yeah like it's like it's like when you know the thing is bad but you want to see it for yourself or you know something's like intense so you kind of like feel the need to sort of tease yourself about it so you yeah. get it just to like get it <laughs> it's like it's like when i know i fell into it it's like when paranormal activity came out and like everyone's making a big deal about it and it was like everyone was calling it the scariest movie ever or whatever. And then it was like everyone saw it. Not you. No. But cool people saw it. And um, <laughs> I'm cool. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're cool, babe. <laughs> um, but it just it, it almost lends itself to an air of like mystery that you have to sort of see for yourself. And like I remember seeing paranormal activity and being like. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It wasn't anything special. One of those movies that had a lot of hype. It doesn't pay off until the last, like, ten minutes, and you're like, oh, and it's over? Okay. All right, then. <laughs> that's just, you know, that's just those kinds of movies. Um, but it didn't even get great reviews. It only got mixed reviews because it's very controversial depictions of violence and, and gore and all those those fun things that even in the 90s in the time when things seemed to be kind of like buck wild with a lot of what they were trying to get away with it just still was a lot yeah which is kind of crazy because like learning about roberta roberta williams growing up she seemed like this like relatively like sweet woman who like just wanted to make video games with her husband and then i found out about this game and i was like she's fucking twisted yeah <laughs> she's messed up yeah he's gotta get those demons down somewhere and she's like and she actually a fun fact in a 2006 interview roberta williams named this game her favorite of all time what and i haven't even gone to the king's quest games which have much more of a lineage than this yeah. game <laughs> and she said it was her favorite because she said it was more to challenging to develop which i get yeah. you know sometimes the challenge is more interesting plus i imagine because of the controversy it's almost a more like exhilarating that it's getting controversy because in this way not in like a way where it's like when someone gets canceled nowadays for being like a terrible person it's in this way it's more like it was very divisive so i think she kind of got a little bit of a thrill of being like "Ooh, i made a, a hot take of a video game because <laughs> it's like some people loved it some people thought it was a masterpiece yeah and then some people were like this is way too much what the fuck you know yeah. like that was very much the divide there wasn't really anyone that was like hot or, like it was very like hot or cold no one was in the middle about this game right it seemed that way i mean you had like politicians coming out like mitch mcconnell and 
Mike Huckabee saying that this game was uh, abhorrent and going to damage going to damage the youth because that was the big issue was a lot of this game was was controversial because and this is still a common issue that we that the video game industry has is so much of the thought around video games is that it's for children yeah so this was one of the first major games that was like really especially from a big powerhouse like sierra at the time it was aimed at adults Especially like when your predecessor is mix up Mother Goose. Exactly. I mean, granted, <laughs> there was a lot of time between that. Yeah. But still, yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, that's the thing too is that when you learn like, oh, she made this cute little game about uh, these Mother Goose stories that have songs for children, and then she's like, oh, and then there's a game where a woman gets raped and dies a bunch, and if you fuck up, and it's like because of the FMV nature, that's kind of why it's very, yeah, graphic. Makes it a little bit more realistic. Yeah, it's it's because it's not even just just like a three D ragdoll body getting blown up. It's a real person with prosthetics and movie level style like gore happening. Yeah, it's just a little too real. Yeah. Um. So even with all the controversy, uh, Roberta really tried to defend her game, and she made a lot of points that it wasn't nearly as violent as other games that were out at the time, like Doom or Mortal Kombat. So yeah. I think she got. She tried to play it like you play as the the person not doing the killing. So therefore, doing the, doing the run running away, right? So she was trying to defend it like you have games like Doom and Mortal Kombat where you're the one killing everybody. Yeah. So she tried to twist it that way, um, and there was a sequel release for the game, which came out a year after her game, but she wasn't involved because she made an obligation to the next game series that I want to talk about, which was she was. Uh, oblig- she was in their obligation to the development of King's Quest Seven. Wow! So, so she... King's Quest is already in. Oh yeah, King's Quest is is legacy, baby. <laughs> um, and just the last thing that that happened with with the the rumors of the potential third game, uh, she had this to say: uh, before I would even consider tackling a major project like that, and devoting a couple years of my life to it, I would need a huge outpouring from all those gamers out there that truly love to have another Fantast to play. If there's a big enough groundswell of support for another Phantasmagoria, and the Sierra hears it and begs me enough, I might consider it. But a third game was never produced. It might be for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The game was controversial. Even the second one, basically just as controversial. With yeah. the same amount of level of violence. So it's like... There's plenty of those other games out there. Yeah, and if you want to play one of those games, they exist. So it's not like you can't play them now. Yeah. Um, but the main series I wanted to talk about, and I'll try to try to do it quick because there's a lot involved that I don't really I don't need to talk talk about all eight games. Um, a lot of games. But the King's Quest series is probably the biggest thing that they, she has ever done. Yeah. Um, the game series started in 1984 with King's Quest One, Quest for the Crown, and the last. Main, I would say official canon, even though it's not technically correct, game came out in 1998 with King's Quest VIII, Mask of Eternity. And one of the things that I love, my mom loves about these games, is their their subtitles are all really, for the most part, in in, in most instances, are uh, kind of clever little puns on, like, fantasy <laughs> tropes. Yeah. So, like, romancing the throne. To air, H-E-I-R, is human. Um <laughs> Absence, make, absence makes the heart go yonder. Which my mom <laughs> loves that name. She 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 thinks that's hilarious. 
Um, but like the princeless bride, yeah, instead of the princess bride, like yeah. all these all fun things. Um, and so they also remade the first game years after the, the original release because a lot happened in six years. So in 1990, they remade K- King's Quest One, um, and then in 2015, they did like a, a, a another game studio talked to Roberta and asked her. She could if they could do it, and they did like a reimagining of the series huh. in a way that's like it's still considered canonical, which is why I sort of say there's only eight canonical, but it sort of does whatever it wants with the other eight games. And it's it's in the world, but it's a reimagining, so it's like it, it sort of takes what it wants from the other games that it likes and sort of ditches things it doesn't like and sort of glosses over. Um, and it actually came out in five episodes. Mm. And it came. It, it was released between July twenty two thousand fifteen uh, to October twenty twenty sixteen. Um, and from what I've read, the their overall reviews were kind of mixed. Yeah. So it wasn't even like they were trying to reboot it, and I don't think they ever kind of quite got there. Um, but the general story of King's Quest, this King's Quest games, uh, all center for the most part around uh, the main character of the series, King Graham. Um, is that his name, or is it like king? He's like a, as a t- he becomes the king. Ah, so he is the knight Graham who becomes a king. Gotcha. Um, it, and his family, for the most part, I say that because the eighth game does not, but mm. has other things involved. Um, and so he's it's this whole from the most part, most of the story takes place in the, the kingdom of Daventry. And all all the, the stories around each of the games are usually played either by him himself, King Graham, or his wife, Queen Valanice. Uh, I was I don't know if it's Valanice or Valanice. I was saying Valanice. Um, his twin sons and daughter, Prince Alexander and Princess Rosella. My mom loves Rosella. <laughs> um, I have to say that because otherwise she'll she'll text me later and say, "Why didn't you say how much I love Rosella?" Um, <laughs> the only exception, and, and I mentioned this a little bit, is the eighth game, King's Quest Mask of Eternity, where the actual protagonist is a, a Connor of Daventry, who is just a lowly tanner and a knight for the realm, but he just happened to be basically in the game, he becomes like the prophetic one who, to, mm. who like saves the world because he happens to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, Every time I hear you say Daventry... I just keep thinking of Griffin McElroy going, Davenport? Davenport. Davenport. Yeah. <laughs> well, there actually is a real town of Daventry in the UK. Yeah. No, I'm um, just, I just, every time I hear you yeah. say Daventry, that's all I think about. Well, Daventry came first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Um, by several years. But um, the big thing about a lot of these games that people can know, like that, that make them what they are, is they're all... These like story, these like, elaborate stories, these complicated puzzles, and pretty well developed characters. That's kind of the, the, the those games were known for. Um, and technologically, the games pioneered a lot of the 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 of the time styles of like animation and pseudo three D environments that were being done and kind of around them. Like they they were again they had one of the first game like they were in, in the first of games that had graphics. They um, quickly moved to having like almost Disney esque animated characters and and like backgrounds that looked like they were like 
actual Disney set pieces, that kind of level of, of art quality. Yeah. Um, and they even in in 98, when they released uh, King's Quest Eight, they had full 3D video game technology working for them. Yeah. Not not great. It wasn't like... I, I love that game. It's my favorite because I have a extreme personal connection to it, but it's not nearly as good as any other game of its time. Um, but it, I love it because it has a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, yeah. I mean, you. I remember like from the very time we met, you had mentioned King's Quest as yeah. one of your favorite things about well, you and your, your connection with your mother. And... Right, because I love my mom. And I... In particular, King's Quest Eight, I sat over her shoulder when I was little, watched her play through the whole thing, mm-hmm. and that was part of it too. Is is we would we would play. I would try to be her little helper boy, like help her how solve puzzles, <laughs> and and then if we both didn't know what to do and we ran out of ideas, you picked up the phone. Yeah, <laughs> picked up the phone. There was a, a helpline. You called and they would tell you. They'd ask you like. A series of places you could be possibly be stuck at, and then they would give you. It was like before the internet had the walkthroughs online, and that's what you had to do. You picked up the phone and called for help. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, and I just remember, like, I remember even just when she beat it, I had friends over, and she like called me inside from outside to say, like, "Hey, I'm about to beat King's Quest. Do you want to see me?" And I like, I drop what I was doing because it meant more to me than playing with my friends. Yeah. Watch my mom beat a video game. <laughs> Um, and I was always this thing because she didn't always get to play when she wanted to. She had a lot that she had yeah. to do as a mother. So when she did get to play, it was like a special moment. And it was always these fun things. And the story's really thought out for even today's standards. Um, and so just even like there were some things the game itself did in its universe that, that really made it stand out. Because you weren't playing as like this royal family. You were a nobody who basically is rise up to, to stop the world from evil and darkness and yeah. bring back light and, and happiness basically um and this game actually also got hit with some of that controversy from phantasmagoria because after that that whole debacle um a lot of surrounding companies had an issue with the the amount of violence that their company had put out no. so they actually had um a, a bunch of managers had to come into the company above Roberta herself to try to like cut out as much of the controversial things that could have happened in Mask of Eternity. Mm. So they like went and started just cutting out all the violence. There's not even that much violence. It's like violence against monsters and not even like that like detailed. But yeah. like they cut out the violence, they cut out anything that could be like possibly religious in in theme mm. because there's some like there's a lot of analogies to the biblical like like the main quest of the game is to like you assemble this mask of eternity, but then you also have to get this armor of of the gods, and the it's reference reference the inspiration for it was the armor of God from the Bible. Mm. So there's like a literal one to one relation that they had to like sort of cut down on. But then they uh, left the company in 1997, and without their version done, so Roberta just walked back in and reasserted her control and just finished the game she wanted to do. Yeah. Which kind of sucked because there was some damage done from what they were trying to cut out and they were already having some issues with some of the technological side of the game that mm, yeah. kind of made the game's process a little bit uh, rougher. Yeah. Um, but 
one thing I wanted to note that I found out in my research, which I have to, I somehow always find these little nuggets for you, for you, my love. You um, always have great little, but I found out that bits of information for me after the game's release, um, King's Quest Master of Eternity inspired a 12 minute musical sequel suite called Daventry Suite by uh-huh. Donald M. Wilson, a professor of emeritus at Bowling Green State University. Hmm. And it was a multi-movement work for the wind for a wind ensemble, and was divided into three pieces: Sarah's song, Connor's triumphant re- return to Daventry, and Celebration with ringing peal. I had to check that one out. I tried to look it up. I couldn't find much, um, but it was featured by Sierra Online as the first musical work of extended scope to be inspired by a computer game. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have things like. Uh... Music, Final yeah. Fantasy. Well, that's the thing. The music of those games were always pretty like thought out. So this was completely independent, though. This is somewhat like a, a random dude wanted was inspired to make his own music based off the the game. Um, but yeah, and that and that game just always has a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I'll talk on is just kind of the legacy of Roberta Williams. Like I said, they retired. She and her husband retired in 1999. They basically retired and just bought a yacht and just yachted around the world. <laughs> Must be nice. I know, right? They have a house in Seattle. I think they have a house in Mexico and they have a house in France. Like, no big deal. I'm just going to go to my French villa today. Basic, basically, on my yacht. On my yacht. <laughs> you got to sail through France on, t- on land. <laughs> I have a land boat. You don't know. It's just I a mean, car. Um, <laughs> but there's the... Uh, in. 2006, the news website Ars Technica, which reports mostly on, like, technology and stuff, um, named Roberta Williams one of the most iconic figures in adventure gaming. Um, GameSpot, the video game news website, named her number 10 in their list of the most influential people in computer gaming of all time, and did so for pushing the envelope of graphic adventures and being especially proactive in creating games from a women's point of view and titles that appear to the mainstream market, all Hmm. while integrating the latest technologies in graphics and sound wherever possible. And that was from an uh, article in 2005. In 2009, IGN, the other video game website... The one that I know. The one that you know. (laughs) One that you know. GameSpot's kind of still up there. Um, Yeah. But IGN placed uh, Roberta Williams 23rd... Or I should say, IGN placed the Williams at 23rd position on their list of the top game creators of all time and expressed hope that maybe one day we'll see the Williams again. (laughs) I should think that's a nice little sentiment to add to their little, like... (laughs) um, Um... and in, which I think is really awesome, in, in March of last year, Roberta Williams was given a Pioneer Award from the 20th Annual Game Developer Choice Awards. Yeah, there you go. For her work in the graphical adventures of game genre and for co-founding Sierra, which, awesome that she got that recognition. Yeah. And she was also, for anyone that had ever watched the AMC TV show Halt and Catch Fire, which ran not too long ago, ran for a few seasons... Um, she was the source of inspiration for the character of Cameron Howe. So hmm. anyone that has, has watched that show, you have Roberta Williams to thank for that character. Um, and this is something that on the day of recording, June 4th, literally as I was re- researching today, I found out that an article landed on Engadget.com uh, that she, along with her husband Ken, are coming out of retirement to develop a new game with 3D artist. And I shit you not, this is his name. 
Marcus Maximus Mara. That's a name. That's a fucking good name. That's a name. Um, and that reminds me of uh, one of my favorite musicals. The uh, the character's name is Count uh, Count Carl Magnus Malcolm. It's just like like triple I, can, M. I can barely even say it. Triple M, triple M names. Um, Marcus Maximus Mara. Yeah, he is a yeah he is, so that literally I found I as researching it was the first article was they're coming out of retirement for a new game. What, what, what? And it was very you know it's like <laughs> I just thought of like it was very much of like of all the times I decided I was going to research Roberta Williams. Yeah, perfect that, timing. Perfect timing. So yeah, they, there's not a whole lot out yet. They have a website, but it's mostly uh, in development still. Um, they've been apparently in developing for six months now, um, and they're hoping to start beta testing by July. Oh, wow. and they were hoping to have a November release, but that doesn't seem quite likely. Yeah, just because I mean, that's always the lofty goal. You want it to be early, but you don't want it to be early. Yeah, <laughs> with a video game, you should probably make sure it's good. Yeah, um, but from the vibes that they keep, the the teases that they've been saying is it's very Sierra esque. So for anyone that likes those Sierra games, that 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 like style, that generation of games, maybe it's something to look forward to. Um, and there isn't an official title yet, but. From what they they've been saying, it's they're calling it right now, currently the secret. I know. Gasp, gasp. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's something that hopefully looks forward to in the future. And they they basically said that like it's not even like a if they or aren't they going to make a game. They basically got to the point where they were developing this new game and said, "Oh yeah, we can't turn back now. We got a yeah. game." So hopefully, we see something cool come from that. I mean, again, with the legacy they have, they've put out some bangers. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what they do next. And hopefully if this if this does well for them, they maybe get back out there. Yeah. They've been gone from the scene too long. They're not even that, that old yet. I mean. Well, I mean, you never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is my little history lesson for you on roberta williams and sierra entertainment and a little bit about her husband ken and how they basically dominated the 80s and 90s of computer gaming (laughs) but i hope you enjoyed my little lesson on roberta williams and i hope everyone appreciates the queen that she is yes and thank you all very much for listening to this episode. We always appreciate your support. We love you guys. Thank you. And speaking of thank yous, we would also like to thank... Daryl Banner. Yes. Oh. <laughs> We'd like to thank Daryl Banner, our composer of our theme music. Were you going to say Daryl Banner too? I couldn't remember. I was going to say Daryl Banner because okay. we have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, obviously, it's a great theme song. It's it theme. is. It's so great. Can I say thank you to all of our supporters and listeners and fans? Because yes. I'm going to do it. Do thank it. You, thank you. Thank you. That's my special. My special thank you for all those people. Well, if you also want to listen to half of this podcast hosting team do more podcasts, you can listen to uh, the Composer Chronicles. Yeah, I definitely do it. Listen to Steven's the Composer Chronicles. Um, the Composer Chronicles. And yes, he's doing a lot more with the interviews and yeah, got a lot. Start of... re- revamping the show and how how the schedule goes so he can make it all more fun for the listeners and hopefully more fun for him. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of great people coming up and 
a lot of people that uh, I am sure that most of you will really enjoy. So uh, check out the other Alexandrian Media podcast, The Composer Chronicles, uh, and you can find that pretty much wherever you listen to any other podcast. And if you want to do more for us, because we would always appreciate some more support. Yes. You would... can uh, support us by being a patron. Patreon.com slash culture. Yes. Support us. When you go there, you can sign up at $1.50 a month for general support. And then you can also sign up at the $5 level where you'll get ad-free versions of every episode. And you'll also get merch discounts which at this time merch is starting to actually be made for this show we actually have a mug up right now so you can get a cultured but not really mug on the alexandrian media teespring store it's not teespring anymore it's just spring so you can grab that uh and i'm gonna get one right now (laughs) i'm gonna post the first discount code in the patreon so you can get your own mug for culture but not really i'm gonna get so many mugs so many and 12 i'm gonna get 12 mugs (laughs) there will be more merch coming out soon we have a t-shirt in the works and it's going to be a lot of fun and keep an eye out for an episode two weeks from now and we'll have something new to share with all of you from one of us who is he going to be? Is he going to be me? Or is he going to be Brian again? It's going to be me. It's only me. It's always it's, it's only always me. only you. Well, on that note, we ask you, listener, are you feeling really cultured today? Bye. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.